Hello and welcome back to the European show. We're now on episode 8 and we're going to look back at um, the few midweek fixtures that actually happened this weekend um, with some monumental wins for some teams. And to join me in doing so is, is Nick as always. So welcome back, Nick. Hello, hello. Thank you very much. How, how, is it? how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, the one place that we should start I think it's quite fitting that we start in this place as well, is Italy. Um, only due to the fact that Juventus have finally won their first game of the season, <laughs> beating Spezia, which is not that hard to do really if you're a decent team, um, 3-2. Um, they had originally taken the lead um, through Moise Kien, who scored a great goal, before Emmanuel Giassi um, equalised for Spezia. But what was no most notable about this goal was the fact that Giassi then proceeded to be the biggest shithouse ever and used the Ronaldo C celebration um, as his celebration <laughs> against um, Juventus, who are obviously missing Ronaldo. Um, they then proceeded to take the lead again. <laughs> Or they they then Spezia then proceeded to take the lead, um, where and and I think the most the thing to sum up about all of this so far is the fact that Wojciech Szczesny has been absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, you did it. You did say that uh, Juventus have been missing Ronaldo, which is certainly true, and it's something that I've also said on multiple times in this podcast. But in this game, it wasn't the attack that lacked at all, um, and. It, it was more the, the defence, which we've seen making mistakes in previous games as well. And even if they had Ronaldo, that's obviously not something he fixes himself. So, I mean, just for example, just Spezia attackers would find space with no problem. They'd just get the ball, line up to shoot, and no one, no one would be blocking them. They'd be dribbling around Juve's centre-backs as if they were like bowling pins. And it, it, it was just... And then, obviously, as you said as well, uh, Szczesny is just in bad form, just fully bad right now so I mean scoring three goals is great but conceding two against Spezia is kind of a, a, a symptom of, of the disease that Juve are suffering right now I said it now. last time but I'll say it again obviously the fact that Juventus didn't um, sign Gianluigi Donnarumma is looking quite bad now with the fact that Wojciech Szczesny is playing absolutely horrifically um, Juventus equalised however through Federico Chiesa he was he was their saviour this time and I do think that is something we're going to see a lot more this this season Federico Chiesa being the man that um, pulls Juventus from the mud similarly to what Ronaldo did um, last year but obviously um, you're relying on a 23 year old uh, but then obviously Juventus went on to win it through Mateus Delict. um you scored to to give Juventus their first three points of the season, um, but I don't think they're out of the mud yet because obviously the fact yes they did come back and win obviously but it's against Spezia it's not it's, they're not a difficult team to play against and I I just think that you shouldn't really take a lot of positives out of this really for Juventus. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, they were against one of the easier teams in their league. However, from a morale standpoint, I do think that this game will matter. Um, just mentally breaking this losing streak. Well, not, not necessarily a losing streak, but a, a winless streak 
will uh, hopefully motivate the players and remind them that they are capable of, of pulling through in tough situations because obviously in this game they went behind it twice and I think that's the main takeaway and the main thing that Juve fans should take away from this. And obviously they they are up against Sampdoria this weekend, which is obviously not an easy game as Sampdoria sit level on points with Juventus in 13th. And so obviously this is a mid, mid-table mid clash. Juventus have gone from relegation candidates to um, mid-table, a mid-table team now. But can we write, I know we're only... Um, five games into the Serie A season but can we write off Juventus um, in the title race or is it still too early to do so? I would say that they shouldn't focus on the title and more on hopefully getting to the Champions League this year because so far they look so weak and basically every other big team in Italy right now is so incredibly strong they don't look like they have the capacity to, to compete so far because if you look at Roma, you look at AC Milan and Inter Milan, and then most of all Napoli, it's all of these teams going through a massive resurgence from the kind of bland, not very strong teams that they used to be, into now these powerhouses that are turning the, the league the, the league title into a four or five horse race. And Juve just doesn't look strong enough to keep up the pace with them. And sure, maybe they'll they'll make a turnaround now. But uh, I think it might be too little too late. So uh, we will have to see how these other teams manage to cope. And if suddenly, of course, if suddenly four or five teams suddenly dip in form randomly and and Juve become strong again, then obviously they would uh, recharge for the title. But that looks unlikely to happen. So I do think that it's almost impossible for Juve to recover from this horrendous... And obviously the other contenders for the title are... Inter Milan, who beat Fiorentina 3-1, uh, uh, coming from behind. Um, Milan beat Venezia 2-0, and Napoli beat Sampdoria 4-0, while uh, Roma won 1-0 against Udinese. And obviously, you mentioned it last week, and obviously the fact that I said Napoli are title contenders last year, but it's kind of happening now, and we should kind of take Napoli seriously now as a team especially with um, the main attackers all being fit again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Victor Osimhen being out uh, for a fair amount of time last season harmed him quite badly and harmed him quite badly because he couldn't get into his stride even after he recovered. But now that he's up and firing again, you, Napoli have got a, a good cannon up front to complement their already very strong forwards in Insigne and, and Mertens. And obviously, these two players are both quite short and they don't have much physical prowess. And now having a much taller, much more just physically capable Osimhen uh, adds another dimension to to Napoli's attacks. So with this, I do think that uh, they've got the, the missing piece in their puzzle, which they were absolutely lacking last year. And essentially what caused them to drop off uh, in the latter half of, of the of, of the football season and so in in midweek or at the weekend should I say actually Spezia are against Milan um, Inter against Atalanta Juventus against Sampdoria as I mentioned and Lazio are against Roma in the Rome derby this is obviously um, Jose Mourinho's first 
first game in or first Rome derby. So obviously he will want to rattle half of Rome, and this is the best best time for him to do so, especially with how how great Rome Roma have started this season as well under Mourinho. It's they'll definitely be wanting to win this one. Yes, certainly. I mean, the the Rome derby is already a, a match with very heated personalities and very heated players. And add Mourinho into that, one of one of the most well-known hotheads in football, I think is going to be a great, great game to watch. Both from a footballing perspective and an emotional perspective, we're going to see a lot of craziness. So I, I'm actually, actually looking forward to this so much. And obviously, on the, on the other in the other dugout is Maurizio Sarri as well, who who famously nearly stormed out of Wembley with the whole Kepa situation. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we have two great managers, two very emotional managers, who are going to go crazy at each other. Mm-hmm. So now into the league, um, obviously PSG last weekend narrowly beat Lyon. Uh, this weekend they narrowly beat Mets um, as they nearly cocked it up again um, Afresh Hakimi gave PSG the lead but then just before half time Mets were able to equalise and PSG just didn't look good and struggled throughout to try and get um, the winner it's o- it was only until the Mets went down to 10 men <laughs> They really had a chance, and then obviously in the 95th minute, Afra Shikimi um, scored the winner and obviously backed himself with brace. Obviously, Hakimi has actually hit the ground running um, at, at PSG, and he looks quite good. Of course, he, he has got off to a good start in Paris, but I did, <laughs> we obviously this is something that we're probably going to end up continuing talking about. It's just the fact that PSG are not really any better than they were last year. I think it's just the fact that um, the teams around them are a lot worse. Obviously, Lille have lost quite a few of their players and lost their manager. Uh, Monaco have just got off terribly. Um, Marseille, no one really knows what, what's going on there. And Lyon are just kind of coasting. And their, ch- and their closest challenges so far have been Angers and Nice and I, I think that just kind of sums everything up really I mean that's usually how Ligue 1 goes you just have PSG being the more stable and more consistent of all the teams and that's why they win the league and when you get a, a team that gets their shit together basically like Nice not Nice obviously Lille last year then they give PSG a lot of trouble but uh, returning to the to the subject of Hakimi i just like to point out that I think it's really interesting how uh He's taken almost no time to adapt to to a new league and a new team. And I, I just think it's a curious symptom of, of him being such a journeyman as we've seen him moving around so much. You can tell that now he's experienced at, at adapting himself, really. Yeah, he just doesn't have to integrate anywhere because he's so used to just going to a club for you and leaving immediately. <laughs> um, the rest of the teams in Liga, Monaco beat Saint-Étienne 3-1, Lyon beat Troyes 3-1 Angers June 0-0 with Marseille obviously that's uh, the top of the table clash um, and so this weekend PSG against Montpellier um, 
Marseille against Lens and Saint-Étienne are against Nice. I think PSG will be without um, Lionel Messi once again because he missed the Mets game through injury. Not that it really make, not really that he makes any difference to the team anyway. So now we're going to have a break and then we'll be back with La Liga. Okay, welcome back from our um, from our break. Um, we're now going to look at the midweek game, or Nick's going to look at the midweek games in La Liga. So first and foremost, Sevilla finally delivered it to to my expectations, and they put on a, a beautiful offensive performance, scoring three goals against Valencia, who only scored one. Uh, it, it was actually. As, as I predicted correctly this time, it was a really exciting game with four goals in the first half an hour of play. First from Papu Gomez, who had not been able to mark a good impression at Sevilla as of yet, and he actually had a great game today. Then Gonzalo Montiel, uh, I need to check if he's actually young or not, because I think he's a sub. Yes. Uh, a new right back for Sevilla, who's clearly making himself known. And Rafa Mira, once again, a new signing for Sevilla, who was almost signed for Atleti before kind of being put on hold and then last minute signing for Sevilla and now clearly he made the right choice because he is landing he clearly made the right choice because he's clearly firing off well and he's a great great player from from the goal he scored where he just took a shot from from far away because he didn't he's being pressed by the defender he bodied him off is it overall just good then uh, a few minutes later obviously Valencia pulled one back with Hugo Duro. However, they weren't able to damage Sevilla much more than that. And the game slowed down a bit, but overall it was still quite exciting with some good end-to-end football and it was just it was just a fun game to watch. Speaking of high-scoring games and exciting to watch, Real Madrid hammered Mallorca 6-1. I'll be honest, I have no idea what Ancelotti is feeding his team, but everyone's going crazy. All of essentially all the players who had like down seasons last year and they weren't at their best and they looked like they couldn't really improve now they're just crazy Asensio was kind of bland and now he scored a hat-trick granted uh, Mallorca's defensive mistakes did help uh, Real Madrid on a few occasions in, in in the many of the six goals that they scored but it doesn't change the fact that Real Madrid were just playing incredibly well with really pleasing to watch football and every single one of their players seem to be on top of their game. Obviously, Benzema scored himself two goals. He is now officially in ridiculously good form, and I would probably say the best player in La Liga at the moment, certainly the best striker. And then, now, moving on to slightly less... Well, sorry, hold on. Now, moving on to uh, less high-scoring, but still quite dramatic and exciting games. Getafe uh, played Atleti Madrid and Getafe actually scored uh, at the end of the first half after a period of Atleti playing horrendously badly. They seem to be in a bit of a slump right now and can't really find their footing. It's actually a surprising mistake from Jan Oblak, which you don't see very often, which ended up in in the Getafe goal. And then uh, Getafe did kind of lock themselves in for the most part of the rest of the 45 minutes. 
so for the rest of the yeah for the rest of the game really uh but um Alenia getting sent off after a terrible tackle changed the changed the the dynamic of the game and even more so the game changed when Luis Suarez equalized in the 78th minute with a great goal that I'm of the opinion that not many other strikers would score there he showed his quality that despite being quite old he still got it and then finally Suarez once again scored the the winning goal for Atleti in the dying minutes in the 91st actually after Versalco just gets the ball on the edge of the box boots it as high up as he possibly can I hope it reaches someone and Suarez is there in the box to just head it in so with that we got we had yet another exciting game in the Liga and then moving on to Barcelona wow that's that was one way to kill the mood I hated watching this match and it was just boring as per usual but oh, I was looking at the wrong game I was, I was like wait I've commented on this one before as per usual Barcelona was not very good uh, in fairness they did manage to create a fair amount of chances this game which is something that they had been lacking in their previous matches however uh, quite unusually their strikers were off their game I mean Luke de Jong not scoring is no surprise to anyone but Depay actually missed quite a lot of good very good opportunities which was a, a bit of a shock to me but I'm sure it was just a, a one game thing but still he wasn't able to find the target at any point at any point at all then the third attacker was Yusuf Demir and I mean he he's, he's a B team player like I, I, I wouldn't put too much expectation on him and he showed that Granted, he can probably do his job better than some other Barcelona players, but I wouldn't get, I, I, I wouldn't put too much expectations on him. The easily Barcelona's best player of this game was Ter Stegen. Uh, the the few times that Cadiz managed to break through in Barcelona's defense, they they had some very good opportunities with some very dangerous shots, and Ter Stegen stopped all of them incredibly. I mean, it's just Ter Stegen. He had been quite quiet. Of for the last few months and today he, he popped out again and reminded everyone of his quality but overall especially in midfield Barcelona was terrible uh, 17 year old Gavi was easily their best player in, in that respect he was the only one who was like looking up at his teammates where they were trying to motivate them talk to them uh, making intelligent passes putting effort and creativity into into the movement of the ball Meanwhile, Busquets, as always, was quite slow, couldn't really react or do anything special. De Jong was also quite bad. He has been in pretty terrible form these last three or four games, if I'm being honest. He just, I don't know, he was horribly slow turning around with the ball. He'd receive it and he would lose possession almost immediately. His passes were just going off straight in random directions. He, he just looked like he wasn't concentrated and this is all culminated by him getting a second yellow which in fairness was pretty harsh from the ref it's the second time we've seen bad refing in the Liga in in the space of a few days but uh, at the end of the day well first of all he, well, well, when, well, when he, while he went in on a tackle uh, with his just pretty carelessly and he didn't really touch the player but still he went into a tackle really carelessly and honestly just out of frustration uh and it just I, I don't i don't think him staying in the game would have changed that much but uh well that's it really barcelona next play levante 
and Levante are a team that are beginning to be that are beginning to gain a reputation of giant killers in in La Liga. They're they're often they're often very capable of taking points off the biggest teams in Spain. So thankfully Barcelona shouldn't have much, too much of a problem with that. And I I I like I genuinely unironically think that they could win this game. Uh, but it does depend a little on Levante's performance. Yeah, Levante haven't been able to win a single game in their since the start of the season. So I, I I do think that Barcelona this is the best chance for Barcelona to pick up three points before they enter a very very difficult stretch in the in the match calendar. Yeah, meanwhile Aleti play Alaves. Mm, on paper, this is the easiest game they'll get just all season or for the first half of the season because Alaves have zero points but then again Getafe also have zero points and Aleti struggled quite a lot to to beat them so in their bad run of form uh, it's possible that Aleti trips up here but the difference in quality should say that Aleti wins mm, other interesting games Real Madrid play Villarreal I mean Villarreal isn't quite what they were last season but they're still a very strong side uh, however, they do play in the Bernabeu. So I do think that Real Madrid have a certain upper hand here and I would see them winning. Um, other matches of note, I would probably say, or the other match of note, I would say is probably Valencia versus Athletic. Both teams are having a roaring start of the season, especially Valencia. And despite their previous loss and the, the draw before that in their last two games, I think that they can come back and prove that that they've that they that they've got a new perspective to them and a new side to them this season. So that's it. That that was my summary of, of the weekend's games. I think um, before we have a break, the only positive you can really take uh, out of out of Komen's time at Barcelona is the fact is the amount of young players he has brought into the team. And has developed, such as Pedri, uh, Gavi, as you mentioned, Ansu Fati, who was there before, but um, he's got more game time under Komen when he hasn't been injured. Um, and also um, having players like Serginio Dest, uh, Ronald Araujo, and Eric Garcia, although they were bought in. And just players like that, the fact that they have um, given youth a chance although they do don't really have any other option right yeah i mean honestly the way it looks um is more the way that uh, that honestly the way it looks is more like how you said it at the end that they just they're kind of desperate and don't really have any other options so they just have to bring as many young players on as possible and it really fractures the team because you don't have like a core of, of players in their prime like think about it how many players between the ages of 24 and like 29 do Barcelona have because that's the prime of, of players footballing careers and it, and they don't have anyone there everyone is either like over 30 or under like 23 24 and it makes it for a really weird team dynamic and also Barcelona kind of bringing on as many youth players as possible and as many young people is kind of they're very hit and miss with it as you said um, Araujo from the place you said Araujo I'd probably say is one of the best ones Gavi is showing some good games but sometimes he just disappears obviously honestly all of these comments on young players like we can't criticize them too hard because they're not really meant to be playing first team football 
but then um, and honestly that's really the core of it in my opinion that uh, a lot of these players are being brought out into the spotlight a spotlight far too early like Yusuf Demir apparently he's quite good and he plays very well for the B team but now when he's on the pitch on the big stage in La Liga he can't perform because it's not like the level that he's used to and the level he's ready for yet Serginho Dest as well his move from Ajax to to Barcelona happened way too early and he clearly isn't at the level to play at Barcelona yet he doesn't have the confidence and he doesn't have the skill or the knowledge and same with Eric Garcia there's there's a lot of good players and honestly the best young player the best young player Barcelona have I would even say the best midfielder they have doesn't play Ricky Puig has started getting some minutes recently but it's only out of desperation where Kuman just kind of brings on his whole bench and then he realizes that Puig is still sitting there and then he's like oh yeah you know what I, I could do with a new midfielder and he brings on Puig and obviously playing like that he's not he's not getting the opportunities he needs the opportunities he deserves he should be starting every single game I did praise Gavi but I think Ricky Puig is miles ahead of him Ricky Puig is better than him better than Busquets better than Frankie de Jong he should be starting every single game and he gets brought on like the 70th 80th minute just out of desperation out of oh my god please change something but uh Honestly, I, I think that th that's one of the things that is hurting Barcelona most. Coman's, well, honestly, just beef with, with Ricky Puig because he is Barcelona's best midfielder. You can see it every time he comes on the pitch. But he doesn't get the opportunities to do, to, to show that. So that, that's, my main that's my main commentary on Barcelona's youth and Coman's habit of just bringing on as many young players as possible. So now we're going to have our goal song break and then we'll be back with the Bundesliga. Welcome back from our goal song break. You just heard the Juventus goal song. So Nick, what would you rate that out of ten? Right, uh, I do like it quite a lot. Honestly, it has a it has a lot of energy and it's quite exciting. It sounds does sound like something you would hear after a goal and celebrate too. But it's not the most original, so I would probably rate it a little lower, maybe a seven out of ten. It's solid. I do. Um, I think it's unoriginal and. I think we're scraping the barrel now when it comes to goal songs from what we can find uh, on YouTube. I'm going to give it a four because it's quite, uh, due to the fact it's unoriginal and I've heard it several times before. Um, so now we're going to look at the Bundesliga games this weekend. Um, the biggest one is the, is the derby between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Borussia Dortmund. Um, obviously Dortmund have gone off to a good start under ex Borussia Mönchengladbach manager um, Marco Rosa while Borussia Mönchengladbach have gone off to a terrible start under Adi Hutter and the biggest story out of all of this is the fact that Marco Rosa is returning to Borussia Mönchengladbach obviously he did leave on bad terms with the club due to the fact that he kind of announced in February time that he was going to leave and then the team kind of spiralled 
um, and obviously did not qualify for any form of European competition because their form was that bad. But obviously at um, at Dortmund now he's actually created a decent team who has he can't defend but can attack very well and so it will be interesting to see how this game pans out because normally these the games between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Borussia Dortmund are there will be a lot of goals either for one team thrashing the other or it being quite a close affair like last season um, Dortmund beat Mönchengladbach in the opening game 3-0 at the signal of Duna Park before Gladbach obviously won 4-2 um, at Borussia Park. And I think we're going to be looking at a game that's similar to that 4-2 win. Because um, obviously, mainly due to, despite the fact that Borussia and Gladbach have struggled to score in their recent games, I think the fact that they're against um, a Dortmund defence who can't really defend at the moment will open the door for them and will give them a possible chance at some sort of an upset. And I do think if there is any time for Borussia Mönchengladbach to get this season back on track, it is now and beating um, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, however, with Haaland on his ridiculously good form, I think that uh, it would be almost impossible for Gladbach to, to take away three points from here. Uh, they would literally just have to try and outscore Dortmund because defending against Haaland would just be pretty much impossible. It's been tried on multiple occasions by many teams this season and just they, they can't contain him. Uh, so I think the strategy would really have to be to exploit Dortmund's weak defense as much as possible. But uh, I think it's it's unlikely for them to be able to take much from this game. Obviously... It will be interesting to see um, the reaction that Marco Rosa receives on his return to Borussia Park. And I do want to say as well, the ticket prices for this game was ridiculous. It's €40 Euros to sit in a really bad position, really high up and at the back of the stadium and the top tier. Whereas for a similar price, for example, Leverkusen versus Mainz, you can sit a lot closer to the pitch and um, obviously get a much better view. I understand that it's obviously Dortmund, but I don't think ticket prices should vary that much depending on the team, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's certainly true. That's not something I like. That's not a philosophy I like of changing, yeah, just changing prices depending on who you're playing against. Like at the end of the day, it's still your team and your fans who you're hosting, so you, you should just... It's just a cheap way to get more money, and I, I, I just personally don't like it much, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, so, the other games in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich played Greuther Werther. Obviously, um, Bayern Munich beat uh, the champions of the side of Bundesliga last year, Bochum, 7-0, and Greuther Werther a lot um, worse team than Bayern so we could be looking at a potential another route what's interesting though is um, it's being rumoured that before Timo Werner joined Chelsea he had a written agreement a temporary agreement with Bayern Munich that he was going to join them until the manager at the time Niko Kovac and the sport and the technical director both were not really keen on the deal going through so it's just interesting to see how 
things could have been completely different if Timo Werner was to move to um, Bayern Munich if he didn't hadn't gone to Chelsea. Um, RB Leipzig against Hertha Berlin, obviously two of the probably most underperforming teams so far this season. RB Leipzig will want to get their season back on track after losing and drawing and not really winning. Um, and then obviously Bayer Leverkusen, who have looked good under Gerardo Sayoni, are against Mainz. Um, the Mainz obviously have com- had had an amazing revival under Bose Fenson. Um, this time last year, they were sitting dead bottom of the table. Well, not dead bottom, that was Schalke. They were sitting, sitting dead second bottom of the table, only Schalke being worse than them. But when Bose Fenson took charge, they were completely turned... Uh, changed and easily escaped relegation and uh, are now pushing for a potential European place, albeit early on in the season. So I, this, I do think this game is actually going to be quite interesting with how it all pan out because obviously Bayer Leverkusen have looked very good, as I've said before, and players like Musa Diaby, Patrick Schick and Florian Wirtz are in, are in great form as well. So that is it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Um, please like us, follow us, subscribe, whatever. Um, and we will see you um, next week. Yep, thank you very much. And we will see you soon. Goodbye. Stop recording, stop recording.